Caitlin McGee, who is the Research Director in Housing Futures at the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology, Sydney. So she's going to be our first guest. Caitlin McGee, welcome to Monday Drive. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon to talk about collaborative housing. Now, it's funny that this should be a relatively new idea in terms of government assistance and urban planning because collaborative housing has been with us since the cave times, hasn't it? It's kind of something that's completely natural to people and this idea that we're all sequestered in our little nuclear families in our mansions or apartments, rarely seeing our neighbours and just keeping to one or two or our family, small family group, is uh, actually not that natural even now in many parts of the world. Yeah, that's right. It is actually based, I guess it's a, it's a kind of more contemporary interpretation of a very old modelling model, which is, um, you know, living with more of a sense of community, basically. So, um, and we are seeing um, a really, a real resurgence of desire for that. And I mean, interestingly, um, I'm sort of wondering what the pandemic is doing um, in that regard as well, you know, and, and how our, um, our sort of concepts of home might have shifted. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing I actually want to explore. I haven't had a chance yet, but I'll be doing that. So you're the research director in Housing Futures at the Institute for Sustainable Futures, which is a fantastic think tank, uh, at the University of Technology in Sydney, not far from here in Ultimo. And I guess you're gathering as much data as possible and researching how collaborative housing works and how it can actually be incorporated into urban design because it's kind of the opposite to the way cities have been going over the last 100 years in their drive to pack in as many people as possible there's not been thought so much about collaborative housing but when I was at university of course everybody lived in collaborative housing (laughs) it was extremely common to learn how to get to grips with housework and who was going to take the garbage out and lots of arguments but also lots of parties and uh, in fact Bridget Delaney who's a regular columnist with The Guardian wrote a piece just recently about some of the last shared houses in Sydney and commented as I have over the years that that the uh, change in real estate portfolios, which has brought the price of land up so radically in Sydney, has meant that a lot of places that used to be open to collaborative housing for people of all ages have actually disappeared. And the last share houses in places like the eastern suburbs are disappearing really, really quickly. Yeah, look, that's, um, I think that that's a real issue and, um, you know, affordable housing, the need for affordable housing um, is not going away and collaborative housing is one way, um, one really important way to address that and um, just on, on your point, it's really interesting when we talk about collaborative housing, a lot of people um, immediately think, oh, that's share housing. So we did a series of kind of research workshops with um, uh, seniors to um, really explore um, this model for them because it seems like there is um, some really good potential alignment, but a lot of them are like, oh, but I don't want to go back to those days. (laughs) And so I suppose it's really important to say that collaborative housing, um, it's kind of an umbrella term for a fairly broad group of models. Um, 
but um, you know, share housing may or you know is is part of that mix. But um, the general idea is actually really to provide um, through very specific, desi- very intentional design um, that people can have their community and their independence and privacy at the same time. Um, so you know, it may look like a share house, or it could look quite different depending on the form. So it could be shared kitchens. I know there are places that do this already and there are models of this in the Netherlands. They're very advanced in terms of urban design. Uh, It could be shared courtyards, which is quite a traditional thing you find in Europe and throughout the Middle East uh, where extended families and and, uh, neighbourhoods are all grouped around these small sort of central socialising areas. Um, How much... Is the public housing sector actually looking towards more collaborative housing models? Um, You know, that's a really good question. In terms of government public housing, I'm not sure, but I think there's certainly, um, I guess, an acceptance that different or an understanding that different models need to be explored. Um, In the sector kind of in between, like the community housing sector, there is huge interest in looking at this and many um, community housing providers already work with these kind of models. Um, you know, for example, the cooperative housing. So that's kind of one collaborative housing model that's um, a rental model that um, might look at um, providing um, housing that gives you independence. So you might actually have your own small kitchen, but then there is um, a community kitchen where you can kind of get together and have a bit more social interaction. Um, so so that, yeah, the, the um, cooperative housing is certainly one um, model of collaborative housing that is more sort of geared towards the, um, you know, to renters um, because a lot of the models are sort of more focused on owner-occupiers. And I know a lot of research has been done into aged care, for instance. Now, a lot of people really resist going into aged care because they don't want to leave their homes. And there are countries, as I mentioned, the Netherlands, where they're looking at these villages and uh, collaborative structures where people can still have a home and a home feel, but it's actually shared with a number of other aged care um, people or groups, couples and so Mm. forth. I can see the advantages of that because a lot of my friends' parents kind of resist going in as mine did, and yet my, my parents have been introduced to a quite... Uh, close-knit community going into aged care when they were alone in their homes they didn't see people from one week to the next and I think there's a lot of elderly people who are suffering because they're alone in their lovely homes but they're not getting into any interaction unless their families are visiting regularly and if you're actually living in a village whatever age you are it's much better for your mental health isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there have been a lot of studies that talk about the effects of social isolation on your mental and physical health. Um, There's one that equates loneliness um, with um, smoking. I think it's like 10... 10 packs of cigarettes a week or I can't remember the statistic actually but it's it's quite um it's really surprising so you know that's actually a really big kind of um rationale I guess for collaborative housing um it's really there's a three elements to it you know one's about there's a level of sharing um the other is about there's a level of participation in the development of your housing so a lot of residents actually um become the developer um of these um kind of multi-unit complexes and the third thing is the sense of community is really important so for older people um you know there are various models so as you 
talked about. Um, a lot of uh, retirement villages, for example, are really interested in these principles. Um, or there are groups who are wanting to do it for themselves, like the agency group in Balmain, who are trying to get together um, a, um, you know, they're trying to build a development. Um, I think there might be gosh, probably around 30 households interested in that one. Um, and then there's also the model where, um, you know, somebody might actually own a family home and they might want to... Um, there is a, a model of small-scale collaborative housing, which is about um, redeveloping, um, for example, a single home on a block um, to accommodate two or three small households. So, um, yeah, there are plenty of models in there that actually might address the needs of older Australians. And, you know, that's what we've been really interested in exploring. Yes, in the UK, there's that famous example of the Older Women's Co-Housing Project, where yes. which was started by some women who just thought, well, I'm not going to spend, as recent research has shown, and it's been in the media, women over 50 in Australia are sliding faster into poverty than any other age group. And this was recognised in the UK by a group of women who decided to pitch together and create their own collaborative housing project. And it's a model that's now being replicated because it was so successful. Are we likely to see that here? I mean, you don't have to wait till you're in aged care, do you, before you can take advantage of this sort of model? That's the really sad part of that story. The good news was that they got their um, housing up and running, but a lot of them by that stage were actually um, almost beyond it. So, um, you know, that's the really sad thing that it took so long and we're tackling that same issue here. So, you know, there is a lot of interest and we can learn from those kind of models. But I think without um, really targeted government support, um, it's going to be hard to move these things forward. And, and it also depends on exactly what the model is and where they're trying to build it um, in Sydney because of our inflated land costs. Um, getting up these kind of models is um, from a, making them stack up from a financial perspective can be really, really difficult. But, you know, the, I guess the good thing is there's a lot of recognition from people working in government, in planning, um, a lot of interest from community housing providers, um, planners, architects. So I think there is the momentum to move forward. I mean, even the financial sector is starting to join the discussion, you know, about how to better enable these kind of models financially so it is a movement that's I guess not well developed in Australia at all but we're kind of hoping that that will shift over the next decade quite Mm. dramatically. I'm putting all my faith in you to have a meeting with Rob Stokes who's of course the New South Wales Minister for Planning and Public Spaces and quite an innovative fellow so um, be great to find out whether his department was interacting with the sort of research that you're coming up with. Yeah, they are actually. They were involved in our, um, you know, um, in our, in, in fact, um, the uh, former Department of um, Environment and Heritage and also the Department of, um, they keep changing their names, but uh, I think it's Community <laughs> <do>. Justice, <laughs> yeah. um, actually funded this research. So that's really important. We were able to convince them that it was something really worth looking at. I mean, it didn't take much convincing. I think this is on their radar. Um, and so they were active participants in this. I mean, translating that into kind of policy takes longer, um, but I certainly know that there is interest um, and, you know, 
of course, us at the university, we just keep chipping away <laughs> and building our networks and, you know, trying to look for ways to, to better enable this. So there are a lot of um, researchers and academics interested in this area as well. Well, I hope it starts to move fast. I mean, I know, for example, um, a couple of friends mm, two or three years ago wanted to co-own an apartment. One of them had $500,000 to put down. The other had her parents' house's equity. The bank wouldn't accept it because it was two single women over 50. And even though they had $500,000 in cash, they wouldn't allow that loan to go through. So there was an example of two people trying to get together to get a foot into the Sydney housing market. But the banking institutions just wouldn't come at it. Whereas if that had been a married couple or even a young straight couple de facto, it probably would have been uh, waved through. That is really shocking. Um, we did discover that um, there is one one bank offering what they call a co-borrower loan. And as far as I understand, you don't need to be uh, related. It could be friends. Um, so, Which bank um, is that? Uh, that was the um, uh, Commonwealth Bank. And I think it's still, I think it still exists. So, um, but, you know, I haven't looked into it um, recently to see where it's at. Um, but, you know, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think um, I think you can actually Google it and, and um, there's actually a little bit of information on our website. Can I, can I do a plug for our website? Absolutely. I've just been looking um, at it and there's a lot of information there. Yeah, so it's um, it was put together as a result of the research that I'm talking about, and it is collaborative housing, all one word, collaborativehousing.org.au, and it's just um, we basically just used it as a place to put everything we'd learned um, through our research, hopefully to be able to give people better information um, and connect them with the resources. So there is information on that um, on the website. Um, but yes, it's not it's not simple, and that, so that kind of form of ownership is, um, um, you know, one option. Um, it only kind of tends to work where it is just one or two people wanting to to co-own. Um, and when it gets to bigger developments, you've got to start looking at other structures. But um, yeah, that's certainly. I mean, I think that's a really interesting one. It also, um, say, for example, you wanted to do that. Um, for a house, like so, groups of friends wanted to buy a house and develop it up as a um, as a kind of a collaborative housing development. You've also got to look at local government planning regulations and whether they allow it. And in our research, we actually engaged with different local governments who were really supportive. Um, but you know, there are like the devil is in the detail, and um, so really, um, there need to be like planning um, provisions and legislation really needs to kind of better cater for this. Um, Yeah, you mentioned the impact of the pandemic. Well, obviously, um, there are millions of Australians out of work now and there have to be... There was already a need. I mean, I've heard people for years talking about how when they get older, they don't want to go through what their parents have gone through of moving out of their homes and into these aged care places where you have a tiny room and you you don't have a kitchen and and have talked about, you know, getting collaborative sort of... um, 
communes going up in the north coast and even that now because of land prices is out of most people's reach but if there was some kind of um, modeling done for groups Mm. of people to get together so that they could come and go in those as well I know that in the 1970s I think it was the Whitlam government did set up uh, co-op housing situations for gay women and I know there are several of these blocks of four in the inner west uh, that have actually made money over the years and because property values have gone up as well and those have been run very successfully as, I guess, small businesses in a way. But you can mm. go into one of those for... Uh, you have to live in it for, for at least two years. Once you, If you leave, if you stop living full-time in it, for more than two years you lose it. But you can stay there for life if you want and it's income-adjusted rent. So that was a system that was put in place that's no longer being done, but there are still those properties in Sydney. And it'd be great to see someone revive that also as another way. Yeah, look, the City of Sydney is actually um, looking at that. They ran a housing affordability competition and at least one of the winners um, was looking at co-op housing and they were actually looking at a site in Redfern. I don't know where that is at, but there was certainly a really good um, exploration of how it might work and, um, look, that that area definitely has potential. So, um and I know it's on the radar of progressive local governments and um, the state government as well. But just in terms of how you make it work, I think, um, you know, more thought needs to go into that. But there are countries we can learn from, like Switzerland and Germany, um, Denmark. They have a really high percentage of this kind of housing. So, um, you know, they probably look at us um, a bit strangely <laughs> in terms of, you know, why are we finding it so hard? But, you know, there, there, are, a, there are a bunch of barriers um i guess it's new to australia and um but you know cooperative um structures aren't new to australia you know that's something we um understand pretty well so i i've all done um, it yeah i'm hoping that this will shift um you know in in the next decade or so and i i think as you say the the kind of uh the pandemic and um housing affordability being even more of a pressing issue might help to to kind of drive this um forward. Um. Well, I want it off the radar and on the planning table. (laughs) So if there's anything you can do about that, that would be great because I think, you know, even in terms of um, people with small children, whether they're single or not, even couples, in the old days, well, right up until, you know, even 50 years ago, people had extended family around them. Now there's this incredible pressure on one or two people to bring up children on their own, often with absolutely no help, no support structures. It, yeah, Whereas it feels unnatural, doesn't it's, it? It's completely I mean, unnatural. It's not natural. Yeah. It puts a lot of pressure on those two people. It's bad for the kids. It's bad for society as a whole. It means they have to make a lot more money to employ extra childcare and nannies and so forth. But I know when I was a student and for decades after that, there were lots of people who had children in shared households and they weren't just single mothers but people who wanted that to have that collaborative structure to help them bear the burden. And those children grew up with a range of adults they could turn to. So it's kind of, it's a no-brainer in a way, isn't it? Yeah, well, look, um, co-housing, one of the models we look at, that actually... um came out of a desire to improve the lives of children, which is really interesting. And there's some lovely quote about every child should have 
like, was, is it 100 parents? I can't remember. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. But, you know, that idea of, you know, it takes a, it takes a village. And, um, I mean, I have young kids and I often think about how much I would love that. <laughs> so, yeah, um, just an extra and, pair know, of hands. Talk about it, you know, just wouldn't it be great if we lived closer together? And, um, you know, so I think there are a lot of people dreaming about this and how they can make it happen. And, um the thing I love about collaborative housing, it, it just ticks off, an, off a number of boxes. I mean, of course, it's not for everybody, but I would love to see it better enabled for the proportion of people who are interested um, because it's, it is a model that has something for everyone, you know, like, um, so it depends on your preferences, but in terms of demographic groups, there's something for everyone. Definitely. It's not just for the elderly. It's not just for students um, and it's not just for single people. There, There's potential there for people to escape loneliness, support each other more, make better use of our uh, cities and the space that they take up and uh, and create healthier communities. Caitlin, McGee, that's a lot on your shoulders. Oh, <laughs> you, you... uh, look, I'm not the only one. Fortunately, there's a really dedicated smart bunch of people researching this and as I said it is on the radar of you know I'm not the only one there it is on the radar of um, governments um, but yeah certainly like I think um, and also community housing providers you know a lot of them are doing some really innovative stuff we've been working with a great community housing provider called Common Equity who had input to our research project and have actually um, you know got some demonstration projects going um, you know, in terms of their housing co-ops. But, yeah, it just takes, you know, I guess this kind of change takes time. It's not um, allowed to take time. It's got to happen. <laughs> Anyone who's interested, if you want to go onto the website, collaborativehousingoneword.org.au, heaps of information there, stories, how it works, how to make it happen, uh, and you will be interacting with all the work that Caitlin McGee and her colleagues have been doing over the last few years. Thanks so much for coming on Monday Drive today, Caitlin. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Ruth. Thanks for having me. It's been our pleasure. In fact, thank you.